Welcome to Clockworks, a Legion podcast. We're the best at what we do, but what we do isn't very Wolverine. What? Because it's Legion. It's like an X-Men catchphrase, but modified so that it's not. You didn't say Legion is part of it. But like, but it's because it's not Wolverine. And so I'm just throwing out possible catchphrases for us to start off with. Okay. Um, this is your podcast, bub. That's another Wolverine reference there, just, just in no, case you didn't it's know. No, it's not to be Wolverine references. <laughs> oh. All right, then. Well, you this week... You didn't say who you were and who I am. I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this week we're talking about Legion Chapter 18. Down the Rabbit Hole. This episode was written by Noah Hawley and Nathaniel Halpern, who have written most of the episodes this season. Noah Hawley's name is on every episode this season. Nathaniel Halpern's is on all but two of them. This episode was directed by Dana Gonzalez, who has been the uh, one of the cinematographers on both seasons of Legion. He was also a cinematographer on all three seasons of Fargo. His IMDb credits are mostly cinematography and camera crew. He has three directing credits. One is this one. One is a short film he wrote and directed in 2016. And the other is a single episode of Pretty Little Liars. Well, good for him to get to direct this episode. That's really awesome. And he's doing good. And he's an amazing cinematographer. Like, the cinematography for this show is amazing. It shouldn't be surprising that he's a good director Mm -hmm. because his eye is clearly excellent. Mm -hmm. So, should we get into the episode itself? Yes, take us away. So, chapter 18, Down the Rabbit Hole. We begin, thunder and lightning over a desert, and we see a hut with a blazing fire. Lenny lays on a fur rug, and David sits holding a glass orb, and in the orb is Sid's face. In the tent, Sid wakes next to a sleeping David. We see flashes of Sid's conversation with Clark, saying she's going after him. Sid leaves the tent and finds the the pink plug next to the hole in the desert. A white rabbit is thrown from the hole. Attached to it is a rope with a hook. Sid takes the hook out of the rabbit, but then is thrown into the hole herself. David emerges from the tent calling her name and finds the hole and the rabbit. Sid falls, screaming until she reaches the bottom, her arm injured. Melanie is there, talking about men, and Sid doesn't want to hear it. She tries to leave, but ends up back in the same place. Melanie shows Sid a table with images, David looking for her, flashes of their past. She tells the story of David's life and asks Sid what his curse is. Sid says that he it is the monster, but Melanie says it's his insanity and that he enjoys hurting people. Mm-hmm. So this, like, five-second opening scene with David in his original Legion costume from the comics with his straight-up hair was like, Wah! I know, this is like the comic bookiest <laughs> moment of this show so far. Yeah. I I I thought we might, but I was ex- surprised still to see him in his comic book Legion clothes. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're unfamiliar with Legion the comic, 
his hairstyle in this shot is what Lee, what David Holler looks like in the comics, like with his hair going straight up in the air. Mm. I mean, it's hugely long in the comics, so it's not quite as long, but it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty spot yeah. on. And, his, and, and the clothing, too. The, the, clothes, the shirtless too. with the vest. Yep. And, like... In the co- I've I've seen a lot of the commentary on this episode, and I haven't been looking for it. As always, it kind of creeps into my eyesight. But a lot of the commentary in this episode is like, oh, they're making him into the villain that he is in the comics. And, like, he is not a villain in the comics. Not the comics that I've read. He has... There is, like... Before the comics that we've read, I know that he, at one point, like does a cataclysmic thing. But I don't think that, I think even then he's not, comic book Legion is not a villain the way that people are kind of in the commentary talking about him as if he is. So it's a bit weird the way that people are responding to it as if like, he's becoming the villain he was in the comics. I'm like, no, that's, that's not accurate. Yeah. But he is. This is a, absolutely, I can partly see why people are saying this, because this is a villain shot, if ever there was one. Oh, yeah. Him sitting on the throne, Lenny on the ground, it's like the cave is full of bones. She's lying on a bear rug, which maybe we'll have thoughts about. I'm not sure what to make of exactly. And he's holding this glass ball that's like the ball that David Bowie plays with in Labyrinth. Well, the, the glass ball we've seen the whole season. There was a glass ball in the desert. Right. That we saw. Yeah. So that's, it feels like that's that glass ball. I mean, that was never in reality. That was in there in the astral plane. So and is this, this is also the astral plane. I maybe. didn't pay attention till right now. I didn't think of it. It's not the kind of thing, even though I try, it's not the kind of thing that I have an eye for. But what's the aspect ratio of this shot? Oh, I didn't notice this time. Because that is a clue to us about what kind of reality we're in. Mm-hmm. I'm going to bet that it is the astral plane aspect ratio, but I didn't pay attention. Did you notice Lenny seems to be pregnant? Well, we are having a prince. Yeah. Your Majesty. Your Majesty, we're going to have a little prince. And then the next episode, we see Lenny, who appears to be pregnant. I like... Or potentially has eaten things. <laughs> because there are bones. Yeah. I yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this shot. And before we even see this shot, as we're g- moving through the desert towards the hut, there's like a group of men in like those traditional like Chinese hats that are like a, a dome with a point. Yeah. Running along in a big group away from the hut. And we've seen them before. They Have were we? the ones that we saw in like the flash or I don't know if they were in the flashes as David is preparing with the uh, pieces on a board, the men who were putting up the mast or whatever that I guessed was the tuning fork, but I now think wasn't have that set those hats. Oh, interesting. So, what they were doing is still not clear mm-hmm. because what we see of the choke in this episode does not jive with that. Yeah, absolutely. And they're like, okay. So the shot starts with thunderbolt and lightning. Very, very frightening. <laughs> and then 
We have the like tent or cave or hut. It's very reminiscent of the igloo with mm-hmm. the fire yep. in Sid's mind. There's a fire in the middle of an entry that we're zooming into. And it's also very reminiscent of the tent that in the real world, David and Sid have found themselves in. If it is the real world. If that is the real world, which I doubt, or I don't know, it could be. (laughs) You just said that so forcefully, which I doubt. (laughs) I know, I said it forcefully, but I don't feel it forcefully at all. But like, there's this parallel, there's this three-part echo of imagery of these three huts or caves or Mm. whatever, Mm. or tents. And what's with all the bones? One of them that he's standing on is is like the head of the Minotaur, I think. Is it? I saw a picture of it paused, and it was it looked like the Minotaur head. Mm, I did not that catch that. His foot that. is resting on. Mm. So you have all these bones, and they're they're fighting a man with a bone head. Yeah. I mean, like all the bones are clearly symbolic of death. Like, mm-hmm. That's not a stretch to... Desolation. Death and desolation, and he's the world killer. The desolée. And she's lying on a bearskin rug. Mm-hmm. What's up with that? Like We can read into the symbolism of the bearskin rug because it's the hide of an animal. It's something that's been hunted and killed. Um, and it's... It's something on the outside that should be on... An inside, kind of. Or like that should, something that isn't in the place where it should be. Mm-hmm. Bear skin is not supposed to be on its inside, but no, I get what no. you're driving at. Yeah. Also, like, there's a cliche imagery of like a woman reclining on a bearskin rug or a man reclining yeah. on a bearskin rug is like sensual and, uh, but then surrounded by all the bones really counters that. Mm-hmm. So there's this joining in the imagery. There's this joining of uh, sex and death. Yeah. There's just a lot in that, just like that quick scene right there. It and sure where is. is it? It's inside. My my assumption, my guess, is that that is the inside of David's head. That is what it looks like inside of his head. Why is Lenny inside his head still? That's, that's the question. Why is she there? Did you notice? I sure didn't. What color are Aubrey Plaza's eyes in this scene? Ooh, I didn't notice that. That would be interesting to go back and look. I'm going to go back and look and I'll promise, uh, right here and now, I'll promise to tweet the answer. Hmm. And she's wearing something she has never, ever, this is not a Lenny clothing in any scene no. we've ever seen her in. Is this like silk dress? It doesn't look like her. Very like feminine when that is just not Lenny in any scene that we've ever seen her in. Yeah. Yeah. And then he's holding the glass ball again, and what's in the glass ball is Sid's face. Mm-hmm. And we kind of zoom into the glass ball. Yeah. And it's also reminiscent of the shot in the beginning of uh chapter nine, White Rabbit, with we zoom out from Lenny and Oliver in the pool, out to Farouk's eye, and then out again. Mm-hmm. And here we have, like, we're zooming into this cave and then into the ball, and now we're in 
So we have like layers of something inside something inside something. I'm thinking that this is inside David's head. And the reason why we see Sid's face like that is despite being asleep, he's still reading Sid's mind. And so Mm. she's thinking about the conversation she had with Clark, the whole like, I'm going after him, I'm going after him. And that repeats over and over. And if David is reading her mind in his sleep, then that's what's there. And what's in her mind is in his mind. Exactly. Hmm. Okay. And then we see the tent mm-hmm. and Sid and David. And I noticed David's face is really half in shadow. It yeah. A real stark, stark shadow on his face. So half his face is in light and half his face is in shadow, which is a motif we've attached to Clark all mm-hmm. season. Absolutely. And is also a motif that goes throughout, like, all cinema ever for, like, a divided person or an untrustworthy person. Mm-hmm. So this Sid and the rabbit and the down the hole is a little on the nose <laughs> for, like, she follows the white rabbit and goes down the hole. Like, yeah. it's Alice in Wonderland. And we've had a reference to that in Chapter 9 with... The singing, the Go Ask Alice song. We had a reference to it in season one. They talked about being down the rabbit hole. And so this is a a something that's coming up again and again. And this is, here's a visual version of it. And she's literally down a hole. I was going to say she's literally down the rabbit hole, but it's not literally a rabbit hole. No. Even though it is literally a hole a rabbit came out of. Mm -hmm. (laughs) sent up that rabbit? Melanie. Melanie, who is Farouk. Yeah. Yeah, okay. And this is one of the things, like, Melanie, when she falls down this hole and she's at the bottom and Melanie is there, I like, Melanie is so immediately ominous. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Even if we, the viewers, didn't already know that Melanie was compromised, she does not seem safe. No, not at all. She does not read as, oh, she's a fellow uh, captive here in this hole. She reads as, like, I have brought you here and now, you know, like. Yeah. And one of the things that, one of the other things that people are talking, I somehow caught more chatter on this episode than I usually do. But one of the other things people are talking about about this episode is, like, is Sid kind of dumb for not, for trusting Melanie? Mm Mm-hmm. And I have things to say about that throughout the whole episode. But at this moment, when she, like, Melanie is standing in shadow and, like, super ominous. You can practically hear the, like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> um, actually, that wouldn't be the music on this show. It would be. Uh, and this is the one moment where I think. Sid should be more openly suspicious of Melanie at this moment. Mm-hmm. Is it because Melanie has been, was kind of her savior, that she has trouble seeing her as a villain? But no, because she's seen her for this full year going, like, on drugs and not being present at all. Yeah, and my, like, maybe this is the appropriate moment to say, throughout the whole episode, 
I am quite convinced that Sid is more suspicious of Melanie than she lets on. Yes, absolutely. Like, what we see on screen seems to suggest that Sid is totally taken in by Melanie Farouk, but I don't think so. No, I think she has a plan. Yeah. And maybe we'll get to that in future scenes, but, like, but I don't know, at this moment, Melanie is acting really weird, Melanie is acting really ominous, I don't think Sid has had time to formulate a plan yet. I just don't know why she's not suspicious of, openly suspicious of Melanie immediately. Yeah. Maybe just she's disoriented by having just been hooked in the hand by a mysterious fishing rod and pulled down a rabbit hole. Yeah, probably. That's probably it. It's a little disorienting. (laughs) They are, when I was writing out my recap of this episode, I hadn't realized until I started writing it, which was they are in what appears to be a cave mm-hmm. and Melanie is showing her images mm-hmm. in the cave. And so this is much like the whole John Hamm narration where people are in a cave. It's Plato's cave. People are in a cave and they see shadows on the wall and what's real and what's, you know, they think that's what's real. And so this is and the this point Sid seeing what, thinking what she knows what's real. The point of Plato's cave, right, is that the shadows on the wall are definitely the real reality. <laughs> right? No. What? The opposite of that. <laughs> I mean, we know in some sense that the images that Melanie is showing are manipulative. We know in some sense that they are real, but also that they are misrepresenting. Or maybe not, we don't know for sure that they're misrepresenting, but they know. we know for sure that they are framing reality to make a specific rhetorical point. Yes, absolutely. And once we recognize that this is Plato's cave, we can recognize that they're misrepresenting reality. Mm-hmm. They're not just framing it to make a point. So one of the, like, I think, questions that you can come out of this episode wondering is, you know, Farouk is... is Farouk Melanie is kind of convincing. Mm-hmm. Sid seems convinced. Should we be convinced? Is she right? Just because she's the villain doesn't mean she's not right. But I think what you noticed about it being Plato's cave makes me, gives me extra reason to think, no, she's not right. And she doesn't even think she is. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Those tables, those phosphorescent tables look like glowing petri dishes. Hmm. They do. I don't have a big symbolic explanation of that. And I mean, this whole thing, like the glowing circles, look just like future Sid Mm -hmm. looking through those glowing circles in her world. Yeah. And so is this the same space somehow? Is she now trapped down here forever? Or is this like a place she comes back to? Or, I mean, I think we landed on that space being in the astral plane. Yep. So it's unclear. But it definitely, if not literally the same place, is meant to be evocative of that place where Sid has been all along. Yeah, for sure. Evocative to us as viewers. Yes, that's what I mean. Yeah. So Melanie 
says the like the thesis of Noah Hawley's entire uh, body of work. Which is what? Which is the part about if someone asks you a question, tell them a story. I can't remember the exact line. <laughs> yeah, she says, uh, "You'll never logic will never pers- you'll never persuade someone using logic, but a good story will do it every time." You're right. That is like No Holly's mission statement. It is like in Fargo in Legion, people ask someone a question, and instead of answering them, they tell a story. And it's fantastic. Like, I love it. Don't get me wrong. It's just funny to have that out of Melanie's mouth when you're like, yeah, that's exactly what you do think. Because that's what people do on this show. And that's what people are doing right here. And it's not, it like, it's kind of a meta thing mm-hmm. that tells someone, a st- don't try to convince someone with logic, tell them a story. And it's not entirely true because, like... Here's Melanie telling this story from her perspective that, well, maybe, and that does convince, so maybe it is true. Because hmm. it does convince it. At least partly. At least or partly. Or at least it appears to. Yeah. And the story that Melanie says is like, there was a boy who had a blessing and a curse. Or a gift and a curse. Mm-hmm. The monster was the gift. Yeah, and the curse was the insanity. Like, if you hadn't caught on yet, if you are... This is why, like, when I was surprised later on in the episode when Oliver isn't Farouk, I was surprised. Mm -hmm. But when Oliver says that Melanie is Farouk, I was like, well, duh. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And here's one duh. The monster was the gift. Who except Farouk would think that? Yeah. I love going back just one little second when Melanie is like, men with their sails. Uh, That's a Buffy the Vampire Slayer reference again. Sorry, I keep making them. Or maybe I'm not sorry. Um, When Melanie is making her rant about who needs men anyway, and Sid is like, yeah, I get Oliver hurt your feelings. Uh... I'm kind of sick of talking about it. Yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love Sid in that moment. And that's one of the moments of like, she's not as dumb as Melanie thinks she is. Mm-hmm. And she, the way she moves in that very moment from like, what's going on? What's happening? To like, yeah, Melanie, I get what you're doing. It doesn't matter to me right now. And I'm sick of talking about it. Yeah. Like, oh, wait, she's way more cogent and clear eyed than everyone takes her for. Again and again on the show and even the audience kind of keeps believing that Sid's kind of dumb when she's actually really smart. Mm -hmm. And then to go forward to where we were a second ago, Melanie's whole story ends with her saying, talking about David's true face. Mm -hmm. And that's another thing that is a Farouk thing to say that like, if you're paying attention, you know, at this point that Melanie's Farouk. Because Mel- Farouk has talked about how David's wearing a mask. Right, yeah. Remember? So this is the ma- more mask talk. Yeah. But David is wearing a mask. She's not wrong. I know, maybe she's not wrong. <laughs> and we started the episode seeing David incredibly villainous. And a or cave of bones. Like, and just like being very different than he is. Yeah. In reality. Or whatever. Then he appears to be, or whatever. 
maybe that is his true face. Or maybe, like, tall-haired David is his true face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But Melanie seems to think that taking joy in the pain of others is his true face. Yeah. And is it, like, all through season one, I'm thinking about you and I, all through season one, kept being like, yeah, David is not a good guy. Mm-hmm. And now that the show is telling me David's not a good guy, I'm pushing back on it again and being like, <laughs> but maybe he really is, though. Yeah. <laughs> when the show was trying to convince me that David was a good guy, I was like, oh, but look at how he's secretly kind of sadistic and really duplicitous. And now the show is like outright telling me he's the villain. And I'm like, um, but I think he's going to come back from it. <laughs> So maybe that's just me being perverse. (laughs) He definitely, the main thing is he lies. Yeah. And we see it over and over again. And we've seen that since season one. Yeah. Yeah. David walks through the desert in a sandstorm and finds the rickshaw empty. Then the monastery. Inside, Oliver is there singing to himself. David drags Oliver to a chair and slaps him. Oliver doesn't want to share where Sid is, so David goes into his brain and begins torture. He drills Oliver's leg, flashing between different locations. Sid and Melanie watch from inside the cave. Melanie says David's a monster. Lenny appears in the car, and we see it again bursting into flames and her retrieving the weapon. She sits next to the group, a group of men with safes on their heads, asking them questions, attempting to meditate, and taking out the gun. She finally asks where to find the monastery, and they all point the way. David continues to torture Oliver while Sid and Melanie watch through the table. Melanie shows her the future, where Sid and David kissed, and the conversation Farouk had with future Sid. Melanie says that he'll change, and she calls him Legion, the world killer. But Sid wants to believe he is a good person. David in this sandstorm, exactly the same as David in the snowstorm. Yeah, absolutely. It's like shot for shot, the same kind of thing. And when we started the episode with this fire in a tent that's like the fire in the igloo, and is maybe that a hint that all of this is happening inside somebody's head? Yeah. That Le Desolet is not a physical location in a desert. I mean, we've already kind of seen that if it is a <laughs> physical location, it's a geographical oddity. Is that a thing? Yeah, something. And Farouk, we still don't know what the secret is, because Farouk says, you know, the monks are easy if you know the secret, or whatever. And is there still that secret to be revealed? He says, Farouk says, the monks are easy if you know the secret, and he says, the desert, he'll never find it unless he knows the secret. So Farouk talks about the secret twice in two different episodes. Mm -hmm. And yeah, what is the secret? I don't know. That's a good question. Plus, it's all very maze-like. 
And we'll get into that a little further on the episode, but there's a minotaur and it's all feels like a big maze. This sand, this desert, this sandstone, the, the desert maze. I have to really say the desert feels like a maze specifically in like a nineties, uh, first person RPG video game Hmm. in like King's quest two, you travel (laughs) through the desert and you have to know the like left forward, left, left, forward, forward, right, forward, oasis, left, forward, left, left. Right. Yeah. And if you don't, you are either lost in like, if you ever go the wrong way, you can't, you know, you Mm -hmm. can't go right, left, left to get back to the screen. It has to be the same, whatever. So that's like very specifically a video game maze in a desert is what this whole Le Desolet reminds me of. Yes. Was that a weird reference to make? Not at all. I was, you think King's Quest, I think Monkey Island, but it's all the right. same kind of, you have to know the the right and left ABA start whatever's to know where to go. And let's not forget that this season has really been amazed since the beginning. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we, and like, and explicitly, like the one of the first lines in the episode, I don't remember whether it was the first line of White Rabbit or just very early on in it, David says they're in the maze. Mm-hmm. And I think it's a red herring that what we saw of, uh, care of, uh, Patonomy and Melanie in the monk's maze were kind of supposed to believe that's all the, there is to the maze. But the whole season has been so maze-like that I do not think so at all. Yeah. I think there's more maze than that. Yeah, absolutely. And David comes upon the rickshaw and it's empty. Mm-hmm. And he finally finds the monastery. And he finally finds the monastery. Because, just like Farouk said, he's a little bit behind them. Mm-hmm. And he was. And he can only find it after they've found it. So, I don't really understand Oliver here. Mm-hmm. What? This is Oliver without Farouk in his head, I guess. I guess. How is he able then to, like, turn into David for a second? And why is he so... Is it because Farouk has Melanie captive? Maybe. This is like a hostage situation, and so he has to do what Farouk says because Farouk has Melanie. Maybe. I mean, in terms of how he does stuff, Oliver is also a psychic. Yeah. I love uh, to, like, before we move quickly past this moment, can I just shout out to how amazing the like he locks his mouth and then throws away the key and it goes clang. Yes, that is a beautiful moment. Um but I think there's two questions in your question and I'm not sure which one you're asking and that's like what is actually happening with Oliver and the other is what's Oliver's motivation? Yeah, I why am. is Oliver playing along? Mhm. I think the answer to the second question is maybe a mix of because Melanie is held hostage and 
because even though Farouk isn't in his head at the moment, he's going to be back and has really exercised enormous sway on Oliver Hmm. so that the torture that David is putting Oliver to is not, is less than what he's afraid of Farouk for. Hmm. Possible. Because he says he made me. Yeah. And like, did he make him through control or coercion? It's kind of the question. That is the question. It seems like through coercion, right? Because he eventually decides I'm not, I'm going to tell you, even though Farouk told me not to. Mm-hmm. In terms of like what is actually happening with Oliver, I have a question related to that, which is like Oliver is there. David touches him on the head and it, I guess goes into the astral plane and that's where the drill is. Just like, is David physically drilling Oliver's physical body? Or is he mentally drilling Oliver's mental body? I think it's the latter. I think he is meant, they're both in the astral plane. He touches his head. They both go into the astral plane where David has a drill because he doesn't have a drill with him. Yeah. And... He tortures, and that's why they can flash between these like different locations. But David can teleport. Yeah. So they could flash between those different locations because David is teleporting, and even the drill, like David, can teleport things and manifest things in the real world. Good point. Because my question related to that is, if this torture happens on the astral plane which i kind of think it does Mm -hmm. but i just wanted to point out that it's not necessarily obvious that it does Mm -hmm. but if this torture is all happening on the astral plane david and we should have known that oliver isn't farouk when he goes into the astral plane and he's still oliver yeah because in the it's oliver's body but in the astral plane it should have been farouk not necessarily. If we, she, he has interacted with Oliver on the astral plane. He rode a carousel with him and Lenny. He talked he, to him by the pool. When he rode a carousel with him and Lenny, they were both... Uh, okay. They were both, like, themselves as agents of the Shadow King. Or masks. But he's powerful enough. Like, I don't think that's really... He's powerful enough that he can be that, be Oliver. I think it's a clue for the audience. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. But basically, yeah, my thought is he's on the astral plane. He tortures Oliver on the astral plane, but it affects his actual physical body because it's that mental pain. But I think that there are not actual drill holes on Oliver's body. Which is why he's going to be okay. Yeah. By the end. Yeah, okay. But it was so much pain that he passed out. And actually bled. And if you die in the astral plane, you die in real life. Just like Canada. Just like Canada. If you die in Canada, you die in real life. (laughs) What if you live in Canada? We do. Oh, true enough. (laughs) Um... How is he able to become David then, though? That's still that moment confuses me. 
He isn't, but he can psychically make David see that he's David. Is So when he says, I'm you, is that another clue? Because he's saying, I'm you, I used to have Farouk in my head, and now I don't, just like you. I think that is a writerly clue, but not a characterly clue. Hmm. I think that in world, what the character Oliver is doing is playing Farouk as best he can. Hmm. Saying what he thinks Farouk would say. Okay. But I think the writers are giving us this double meaning that uh, is showing us that Oliver at this moment is like David at this moment. Mm-hmm. That I'm you means something different than Oliver intends it to mean. We have Melanie and Sid are watching the, all this torture. And Sid says, like, no, it's not. It's a trick. That's Farouk. And Melanie says, do you think the victim matters? And I want to, like, stop on that moment because I think it is both another thing that's exactly what Farouk would say and mm. does say. Like, it's exactly like what Farouk said to David when he said, is this such a terrible thing to feel compassion for your enemy? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like a profound and not perfunctory, like a genuine and not rhetorical ethical question. Does the victim matter? Is it okay to hurt people if the people you're hurting are bad? Is like the root ethical question behind, you know, I'll, the principle of nonviolence, hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That it doesn't matter whether someone's bad or whether they're going to hurt people or like, if it's wrong to hurt someone, it's wrong to hurt someone is one philosophical position. Yeah. And another one is, well, you know, you have to m- maximize the good in the world. And if that means you do something bad for the sake of decreasing the greater evil in the world, then that's so the victim does matter. I just like it gets asked and I think is worth actually pausing on and drawing attention to as a serious question. Do you think the victim matters? Hmm. It's not a rhetorical question. So we're back to Lenny again. We get the whole badass Lenny car scene that you loved so much last episode. I have to say, I do not love it any less the second time. (laughs) Um, And then this group of men with safes on their heads. It turns out that the blocks from last week are safes. Yeah, we called them boxes last episode, but we see them more clearly. They're safes. So they're they're safe-headed men. Gotcha. Is there some kind of pun there? Metaphor there? I think that while... I think it is extremely literal... While they have these on their heads, they are safe. Hmm. When they don't have these on their heads, they aren't safe anymore. They aren't safe anymore. Good point. I like that. We could also maybe say that they're locked. There's some part of their brains are locked away. Hmm. So anyway, they're sitting there meditating. We'll get back to them. Yeah, exactly. We'll have more to say. I love. This isn't deep and profound, but just like. When Lenny walks over and, like, the way Aubrey Plaza sits, mm-hmm. it's like a spider. Yeah. She, like, 
crouches down and her knees go out sideways. I don't know. I really like it. <laughs> yeah. I love that, like, she, like, tries to meditate with them. It's like, okay, I'll just join in. It's like, okay, that didn't work after two seconds. Let me try something else. Yeah. And did you catch she's whistling? She's whistling happy birthday. Yeah, she's whistling happy birthday. So, I mean, there's two things there. One is, who did, who did we last hear sing happy birthday? Amy in the very yeah. first episode. And we get a reference to that with, uh, like, we see that scene basically in when, uh, when Melanie is showing Sid David's life. We also, Oliver whistles happy birthday when he puts Oliver with Farouk in his head, whistles happy birthday when he puts Lenny in Amy's body. Does he? Yeah. Oh, there you go. I'd forgotten about that. Because it's a double reference. It's a reference mm-hmm. to Amy whistling, singing happy birthday, but it's also a reference to he's giving birth to someone new. Yeah. And this feels like another birth in that going down this hole feels like a birth. I felt like when, even at the very beginning, when Sid emerges into the, the well, she goes down this hole and then comes out and she's hurt and she's bloodied, but she's like, she's a little different hmm. and maybe she's born into something else. Maybe this is the birth of future Sid. Maybe. Definitely like, let's, uh, hello, Freud. Um, this great big hole with a pink plug with a pink plug. And like, uh, there's a lot of Yannick symbol mm-hmm. in this episode the birth canal or the the big uh, tunnel is like a big birth canal. It's a reference, the tent even that she comes out of mm-hmm. is birth imagery. The reference back to the, we kept talking about the igloo, but the igloo was birth imagery very uh, explicitly. Yeah. And the like going in the cave at the very beginning and seeing David in there with all the bones and pregnant Lenny. But going in the door of a cave, anytime we go through a door, we talk so much when we're talking Freudian, we talk so much about phallic symbolism, Mm -hmm. but yonic symbolism is also a thing. Yep. Doors and openings are also uh, Freudian symbolism. And frankly, I have to like interrupt myself to say, I get bored of Freudian analysis pretty quickly because I, it tends to all lead to the same place. But it's hard to ignore in this episode. Yeah, exactly. There's a lot of Freudian things. And there's there's also phallic imagery in this, in the the, the choke and the uh, guys with their weapons with Carrie and, and her big stick weapon. Like, there's just a lot here. There's a lot of Freudian imagery that you can take out of this episode. Well, and Lenny sits by the side of this, at, in this scene, Lenny sits by the side of this opening, puts down her box and pulls out a great, big gun out of it Mm -hmm. like i love that like it's too big for the box yeah it's like a tardis it's a beautiful shot Mm -hmm. uh 
not a complicated one special effects wise, but really cool yeah. and fun. A gun is classic phallic symbol. Mm-hmm. A box is a yonic symbol. She gets this enormous phallus mm-hmm. <laughs> so that she can guard this enormous yonic symbol. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what it all adds up to, though. No, I'm not sure either. Maybe that's something we can answer in a future episode, or just it's a big question mark. Like, it's about the um, classic associations of yonic symbolism are all about, like, creation and rejuvenation and, you know, rebirth. Well, there definitely is some creation here. Yeah. And maybe that's what we're what we're pointing to is And there's every, also every single character is changing in this episode. And actually I started off the episode saying that Lenny on the bare screen rug, rug is like matching uh death and sex imagery. But that's Yonic symbolism, like is a grave that also you come out of and are alive. So mm-hmm. going into the hole is going into death and coming out of it is coming out of a birth canal. So that it's like built into the way that Freudian uh, would read Yonic imagery that like it's a grave and also a vagina. Yeah. <laughs> so death and birth and recreation and rejuvenation are really are central to this episode, actually. Yep. And the phallic symbols are all the classic imagery of uh, that is about, like, drive and action. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Lenny has the symbol of action, but then she's told to just sit and wait with it. Yeah. But she has the means by which she's going to be the one to do something. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I feel like we could talk about the phallic phallic and the imagery for the entire episode, but maybe we'll just move on from that. I think maybe this is enough. Yeah. So, Melanie shows her, shows Sid, the future Sid. Yeah. And she shows her this conversation. And earlier, we kind of skipped past it, but she showed her, like, Sid and David in their, like, white room yes and sid was like how are you doing this and that's a big clue to it being farouk because who else was there besides sid and david yep. in that room the shadow king was there yep all of the things that he shows her are before he got it out of his head well except uh kissing sid in the future yes that's true and uh the no, no more secrets part. Right. So maybe not all. You're right. <laughs> but the you're right, though. The white room. How would Melanie have access to that, even if she did have psychic powers? Mm-hmm. She wouldn't, but Farouk would. Yeah. And that's where I think, like, I, again, Sid keeps saying, how are you doing this? And then seems to get distracted by other things and... I think we as viewers should be cautious against believing that Sid is dumb. Mm-hmm. I think Sid is putting things together, but it, we're going to 
that shoe's going to drop in the next episode. Yeah. I strongly believe that. Yeah, same. It's a little bit bothering me, Sid, and the, like, proximity to other people. Because Mm. in the first season, she says that, like, it's not just touching, it's getting near someone makes her feel uncomfortable. And yet she is sleeping with David in the cave, like, holding him, and, like, since she's wearing the gloves, I guess it's fine. But then she's, like, Melanie is, like, running his, her fingers through Sid's hair. And just, like, there's a lot of being very close to and touching Sid yeah. for a character that cannot be touched. And doesn't like to be. And doesn't like to be touched. I am reading that as partly that she, since we saw her in season one, she has gained more control. Hmm. And that has come with her being more comfortable because she's more in control. Yeah, that's fair enough. But I also think Melanie is all up in her space. Yes, absolutely. And that's meant to be like unpleasant. Yeah. Melanie, Sid points out that Melanie doesn't seem upset about uh, Oliver being tortured. Mm -hmm. And Melanie's, very like, eh. yeah. <laughs> it's not really him. I don't really care. And that's just one more of a million. Like, Melanie is clearly not Melanie. Mm-hmm. Right. And Sid even says, "You don't seem like you." Yeah. And that's another of a million. I just think don't think Sid is as naive as she is playing. I mm-hmm. think she's putting things together. She says that Melanie doesn't seem like Melanie. Yeah. I think she's noticed something. And the Melanie says the greatest monsters are the ones in human clothes. And she says that David is a psychopath. Mm-hmm. And we see Brubaker from division three saying it wears a human face. And back then we thought He's talking about the devil with yellow eyes wearing a human face. But was he? I mean, he was the human face he was talking about was David. Was David. Even at yeah. that point. Yeah. Even, yeah. Was it it, the devil with the yellow eyes, wears David's human face? Or is it David wears that human face? Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. And she drops the name of the show for the like first time ever in how many episodes? You're right. 18 episodes. We get the name Legion. Da-da! Legion the World Killer. Legion the World Killer. So what did you think about that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh do, do you wanted me to talk about what that? I don't know. It mean, it, uh, it's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. I don't really know in world still why Melanie would call him Legion. Mm-hmm. Because Legion means many. Yeah. Or rather, Legion means a Roman army. <laughs> mm. uh, True. Legion, in the comics, Legion as the name of him is an allusion to the Bible. Yeah. A man who's possessed by many devils, and he says his name is Legion for their many. Mm-hmm. So... David as Legion 
always represents not just multiple personalities, but many devils. Yeah. Like personalities that are malevolent. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't make a lot of sense to me why Melanie in world would land on Legion as his name. Unless she somehow knows the future. Okay. How would she know the future? They're psychic. David's psychic. Farouk's psychic. Farouk doesn't seem to very often have the telling the future kind of psychic power. David has shown it. Yeah. Hmm. But Farouk has been to the future where he read Sid's mind and and saw David there. Fair enough. So you're telling me that Melanie knows to call David Legion for the same reason that Bill and Ted know to call Rufus Rufus. Exactly. It's a it's a closed loop time traveling thing. Fantastic. I love closed loop time travel things. She also says uh, repeatedly. Sid says he's a good person. She she keeps right wanting to say he's a good person, and it's just like. Amy with Lenny, are you a good person? Are you a good person? And there's this focus on someone being a good person. And what does that even what mean? What does that, yeah, what does that even mean? Can someone be a good person? Is that what uh, Sid believes at her core, that David is a good person? And it's one of these, just like I stopped to dwell on, uh, does the victim matter? Like, are you a good person? Is he a good person? That's a much more complex question than it seems. Because mm-hmm. is anybody a good person? Does a good, and what constitutes a good person? And how good do you have to be for the bad things you do not to make you a bad person? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and exactly. that's not just a question for David Holler. It's a question for everyone. Yeah. So Carrie and Carrie arrive in the desert they find the car and follow the signal to Lenny's weapon. The safes now lie on the ground and they approach the hole. The safe-headed men, without their safes, emerge. They paralyze the soldiers with a swinging weapon. And only Carrie, female Carrie, is able to stand. She pulls out a long stick and takes them out one by one, only to have more emerge from the hole. David continues to torture Oliver, asking where Sid is, but he passes out, saying she is with Farouk. Back in the cave, Melanie says not to trust mind readers. Slowly, the Minotaur approaches and leads Melanie away. David collapses at the monastery. Clark arrives with Vermilion as they unload a giant tuning fork. Melanie and the Minotaur approach the coffin. The Minotaur is given his strength. And the coffin opens, Melanie kisses Farouk, and then collapses. Farouk awakes and sits up in his coffin. So we've seen this scene before with Carrie and Carrie. Mm-hmm. That was in when David was planning out his whole desert thing. That scene was in it. Yep. So that's another, like, tick off the amount of scenes we've seen already through that desert thing. And like, okay. I have to just say, that's not how tracking devices work, Carrie. But okay, fine. Whatever. (laughs) It's how his work. He created it. He made a mythical, crazy tracking device. Why? Why? What? 
would be the advantage of making a tracking device that tells you where something was. <laughs> like you're talking, it's a Geiger counter that's measuring the radiation of the trail where it used to be. But no, a tracking device tells you where something is right now. That's the entire point of it's it. It's a trail. You're that's, following a trail. That's not how tracking devices work. Well, it's how this one works. And also, Carrie can what, like, feel Lenny's body heat on her jacket that has been lying in the sun in the desert when she's like, oh, she's close. I'm willing to suspend my disbelief and enjoy it, but like, both of these were like, what? This is not how any of this works. <laughs> Are you some kind of expert tracker, Paul? <laughs> no. And clearly no one involved in this show is either. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Um, the blue, the blue guys without safes on their heads crawling out of the hole, mm. uh, is like, first of all, it is like the miners crawling out of the hole to get, uh, donuts. Right. Yeah. From what's his name? Uh, ben. Ben. But also, they're like bugs. Mm-hmm. They're so insect crawling out of that hole. Yeah. But then also, they're like humans crawling out of a hole. It's the birth imagery again. Mm-hmm. Like, and then they have their bolas that they're swinging, which are like great big testicles. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. They like come out of the birth canal and swing their balls around. Mm-hmm. And then all the men collapse. Yeah. And the only one who doesn't is the woman. Yeah. And she she's not unhurt. Like she no. still is affected by the noise that they make, but somehow she's still able to be strong and stand. Is that just because she's so badass or is it because balls are not powerful over women? <laughs> Uh, sure. Both. All the things. Yeah. <laughs> Carrie can manifest weapons. Apparently. Because this is going to happen again, but this, there's a shot that goes around her entire body and she does not have a stick at all. Like she's wearing a skin tight coat. There's no place that a stick that big could have been. And then it's suddenly there. And later on, she has this, like, scimitar or, like, scythe thing when she fights the Minotaur Hmm. that she didn't have. And it made me remember when she emerged from Carrie's body back in in season one with a bat full of nails. Where'd that bat full of nails come from? Right. She is just able to make weapons. Like, not... Guns, probably, but like blunt force instruments and swords, Carrie just somehow manifests those. And that's part of her power. You are completely correct, and I never really noticed. It's super cool. That is super cool. You're right. And I think looking back on the episode where we had... uh, homeless David who got cut in half by Carrie, she's walking along and then suddenly there's a sword. 
And you think, you know, she's taking out her sword, but maybe she's just manifesting a sword. Because, like, central to their power is she manifests herself out of him all the time. Mm -hmm. So it actually doesn't, it's kind of in the wheelhouse that she can pull something out of thin air. Mm -hmm. She herself is pulled out of, or not out of thin air, but out of where she shouldn't be. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. So coming back to what are these monks? Are they monks? Are, are these safe-headed guys? What are they? Are they real? Because when she fights them, she fights the first batch and you're like, "Okay, they're like 10 guys." But then as soon as she fights them, more start emerging from the hole and it's like the camera goes kind of wonky. They're very, they're moving too fast to be seen. Like they're blurry. Mm-hmm. And so it feels like they are not like, they're just like copies. They're like Hydra. Yeah. Cut off one head and more heads merge. And like, are they the monks from the monastery? Like the Migo monks, but they've been kind of, uh, they're the shades of them that've been taken over by Farouk, or they worship Farouk, or something. And I, the parallel I think of is the Ringwraiths. They're like once upon a, the Ringwraiths from Lord of the Rings, because I'm reading Lord of the Rings to our older daughter. Right. Uh, and like they once were kings and uh, men of Numenor, but then they worshipped Sauron and became wraiths. And these mo- once were monks, but they've been corrupted by and now worship uh, Farouk, and they no longer are. Migo monks, they now are like his minions. Hmm. Are they his min? I didn't think of them working for the Shadow King. Oh, you didn't? Because I felt like they were still protecting the coffin. They're like, they pull people but, down into the hole, though. That's what they do to carry it, to mail carry. Yeah. Yeah. Or the one point. guy. Yeah. And the way okay. that they're meditating around the hole does not see way back, the beginning of this episode does not seem like guarding it to me. It seems almost, like, worshipful. Yeah. So these are maybe totally different people, though. These aren't necessarily monks at all. They never were. These are minions of the Shadow King. Or maybe, and, like, are they even physical things? Because, like you said, at first that's what I thought. And then when a second batch crawls out of the hole, like, that does not seem likely. Yeah. (laughs) How many of them are there? Mm -hmm. And why are they waiting? And why are they waiting? And how do they crawl out of the hole like that? And are they all copies of the same person? They aren't all the same actor. Well, I mean, they're like, all very similarly dressed and uh, make-upped. And, like, they all look very similar. This is exactly like what you were saying with it being a video game. Yeah. This is exactly what it would be, is if you... If you take a bunch of, you know, you have a bunch of bad guys, you have to beat them. And then, like, how they end up getting beat is she beats them all down and then the last two get killed by gunfire and they stop. And it's like, it's because in a video game logic, you have to kill them in a certain order or make sure they're all dead before the next batch can emerge. Right. And if the next batch emerges, you have to do it all over again. This whole episode, this whole world of the desert is like, is seriously like a video game level. It also, though, carries fight with these self-replicating people. 
think back to the episode, whatever it's called. Uh, I can't remember which episode or what it we named it. But uh, with the bugs in people's heads, when Carrie had this big fight scene with Vermilions who replicated themselves and are all alike. It's the same fight scene. Yeah, that's a good point. Because these guys are Vermilions. That was her practice round for this. <laughs> that was the training <laughs> level. And then this is like similar fight scene, but level two. Exactly. You, you trained in the hallway so that for the, ba- for the big bad level, you can beat those guys. Well, they're not there. Yeah, they're the big bad level. The big bad is the Minotaur. <laughs> or something. Yeah. It's so like, and if they are Vermilions, like we've said all along that Farouk is like, uh, that both Farouk and David actually are like Fukuyama. Are like Fukuyama. Mm-hmm. The three of them are a triangle. But are these guys like Farouk's Vermilion? Yeah. Maybe. So we finally have the official confirmation that Melanie is Farouk. Mm-hmm. When Oliver collapses and finally confesses, and David is so distraught. And this is where I feel like he isn't a monster, because as soon as he finds out that Oliver isn't Farouk, he's like, I just tortured my friend. And this comes back to, does the victim matter, though? Yeah. David wants to believe that the victim matters, but... uh if the victim doesn't matter, then he is a monster. Mm-hmm. Right? And Melanie says we can't trust them, the mind readers. Which we know is her. Yeah. And we know that it's completely true. You can't trust them. Yeah, exactly. So You're, Sid, don't trust her. But maybe she hasn't. Maybe, but maybe she, she hasn't. has. Melanie says uh, he's going to be, even if he isn't a monster yet he's going to be you've seen it in the future believe yourself and Sid says no the future isn't written and there's another like time travel question uh, philosophy question Mm -hmm. rooting this this whole season of like is the future written is is there still free will Melanie makes the argument, Farouk makes the argument against free will. Mm -hmm. Says, like, an abuser abuses, a serial killer kills. It's not a choice, it's who they are. Mm -hmm. But we've also seen, it's an interesting, it's an interesting way of framing it, because there's some real truth to, like, or there's some thing I really agree with about, uh, Ethics is about character more than about uh, philosophy. Mm-hmm. That who you are is central to what you do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the show has also really shown us again and again people who aren't who they are, who change who they are. Mm-hmm. Who, like, who you are is not, in this show, set in stone at all. No. So Melanie's making the argument that, like, you can't you can't change who you are, but it's not Melanie making that argument. It's Farouk because Melanie isn't who she is. 
And she's making that argument to a woman who can change who she is all the time. Yeah. Whenever she wants to. Or maybe who can't look back to season one where Sid says, you know, I've been other people, but no matter where I am, I'm always me. Mm. Yeah. That's the counter argument is Sid knows that there is something that's always the same, no matter what changes. Mm. Changes are superficial, but there's a core that's always the same. Yeah. I don't know. The continuity or mutability of identity is more than usually uncertain in mm-hmm. this show. So Clark, when Clark arrives at Vermilion, this is yet another scene we've seen. This is what David planned in the desert. Mm-hmm. David, uh, the scene with like the ropes coming down and everything. That was all part of David's plan. So even though Clark was knocked out by Melanie, that I guess delayed him. I'm not sure exactly what that accomplished in her mind. Yeah, it's true. Melanie knocked out Clark, so then what did that do? Like, we never really saw what happened after she knocked him out. The next thing we see is this. Because I kind of, I was thinking about, from David's point of view, and I was thinking, oh, David, you know, saw that Clark was going to get knocked out even before he put ideas in his head, so he accounted for that. Yeah. But what did Melanie do? And why? Why did she knock him out? We didn't get an answer to that. You're right. Mm-hmm. Strangely, it didn't. <laughs> I didn't notice. Are we going to see in the next episode some more back flashback again to what happened? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Hmm. So Farouk gets his body back. Melanie goes and kisses him. She... The moment... When she goes and kisses him, is there's so many layers there. Yeah. Because we have, like, the Sleeping Beauty yep. thing where, like, the woman kisses the man to wake him up is unusual. Mm-hmm. But we also have the times when we've seen kisses like this, it's been Sid and David, and they've switched bodies. Right. And so this is, again, a kiss to switch bodies. And they do. And the light that lights up behind them is exactly like when Sid and David kiss and there's like a bright light that shines. And it's also, yeah, you're right. It's also the light lighting up behind them brings to mind all Farouk's talk about making the sunrise. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it also, one more thing is that Melanie kisses Farouk to wake him up, but also... Farouk kisses himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, kissing him when it's him kissing his own body, like, it's a uh, moment of solipsism. The yeah. only one that exists and the only one that I love is myself. Yeah. And so he kisses his own body. And it's a, I'm so happy to see you, yeah. body. There you are. I'm so happy to see you. Mwah. I greet you with a kiss. Oh, and that too. I greet you with a kiss. I don't think actually it is in this episode, but that phrase is another biblical phrase. That's Mm -hmm. how Judas greets Jesus. Yep, exactly. A kiss of betrayal. I don't think that's what's going on in this scene, but you said that phrase and it sparked it in my mind. Yep. 
<laughs> and then like, okay, let's talk about the Minotaur. Yeah. And here's my main, here's my main question about the Minotaur. What the fork? <laughs> what the tuning fork? <laughs> That's my main question. What is the minute? Like if we talk about what are the blue clad safe headed guys, are they real or are they like a psychic projection or a robot or whatever? What is the Minotaur? I just don't know. And like the Minotaur is completely associated with Melanie. We saw it in the first episode of this season. I saw it and it was like upside down when she was doing drugs. And I was like, what is this thing? What is it? You guys remember I asked that question a lot. And then it came back again and it was in Melanie's maze. Mm -hmm. And now here it is again. And it's not associated with Farouk. It's associated with Melanie. It was, um, I saw someone else pointed out when David first gets into his isolation chamber thing and travels all throughout and he goes to the classroom. The Minotaur was in the hallway of that classroom where the kids were playing. Right, yeah. Duck, duck, goose. Just like, and some people have have suggested that that classroom is Melanie as a child. Hmm. Interesting. Does that suggest that Melanie was under Farouk's control way back then? Is the has the Minotaur always been actually evidence of Farouk? Is the Minotaur to Melanie as the devil with the yellow eyes was to David? Or does it suggest that there's something about Melanie that Melanie's like an active uh, participant here. Melanie has this creature somehow. Well, that's kind of what we suspected in the last episode. We were talking about how is Melanie working for Farouk or is she working for Oliver? She wants to be with Oliver still. But does she though? I don't know. She kind of denies it, but she still wants, but she still claims to want to, unless she was lying. Yeah. But she also, the last episode was all about her thinking things aren't really real. Yeah. And is this Minotaur somehow connected with Oliver? Is this an Oliver lives in her head as well? Except for, I mean, maybe, but. I don't know if we can take it, take it too literally. Like, it's just, it's really hard to figure out. I think what, what I want to really figure out though is does, does the Minotaur have a physical body? Because mm-hmm. that's going to be really important come the end of the episode. Yes. Let's maybe put that to bed for the moment and come back to it at the end of the episode when it's important. Mm-hmm. We're asking now. Does the Minotaur have a physical body? Wait and answer it. So back at the hole, Carrie has defeated multiple men with safes on their heads, except not. (laughs) Shots are fired. (laughs) The men with safes on their heads without safes on their heads. Exactly. The safe men. 
Shots are fired and Carrie is dragged into a hole by one of the safe-headed men. Lenny approaches with her gun and Carrie jumps down, leaving Lenny to wait for the big payback. Carrie is dragged along the dark dragged along in the dark by one of the safe heads. The Minotaur finds them and kills the man, but Carrie escapes. He runs until he finds two Vermilion. They go to fi- fight the Minotaur as well, and Carrie leaves, emerging from the tunnels into the house where Oliver lies on the ground. He is not dead. David sits near him and tells him that the tuning fork is a choke that takes away powers. David is worried because he feels good about killing Farouk. In the tunnels, Carrie finds a vermilion torn apart and then finds Sid. Sid wants to stop David, but when the Minotaur approaches, they both hit him, and Sid is pinned down, the reflection of the Minotaur in her eye. Back in the desert, Farouk approaches Clark and the vermilion at the choke. Farouk defeats them easily and throws the choke across the desert then watches the sun rise. We hear a recitation of the Angriest Boy book, and David appears and says, Boo. <laughs> Cut to credits. So, the last we saw Lenny, she was looking for the monastery. Mm-hmm. Why is she back at the hole? Because it's a maze and it takes you, and it, you, you emerge back to where you came from? Maybe? I think she found the monastery and is back again. Like, she's purposefully back. Yeah. And when she comes back, she's like, well, now that I'm here, I'm going to wait for the big showdown. But, like, then why were you looking for the monastery in the first place? If the hole is where you need to be. Yeah, good point. The big payback is what she says. Yeah. Which I assume is killing Farouk because that's the payback for the torture she was put through in Farouk's head. It seems like the plan has got to be use the choke, Farouk's a person, Lenny shoots him, everyone's happy. Or is that just what we're supposed to think is the plan? I think that's what we're supposed to think is the plan. Um... Maybe she went to the monastery, she saw David, David gave her some instructions, and she went back? I don't know. Like, I really want to know what Lenny was up to between leaving the hole and returning to it. Mm-hmm. And it seems like she has, like, orders now, again. Mm, she always did. And, like, when we flashed forward to see her in the desert with a sniper rifle back when David was planning things, we saw the Minotaur in a wheelchair behind her. Yes. But now the Minotaur is not in a wheelchair. No, he sure isn't. So that... So the plan is messed up. The plan is messed up at this point. Mm Mm-hmm. This is not the original plan going as all according to plan. Yeah. I'm just not sure. Like, I'm curious. I, I am not sure what's going on with... For finding the monastery and then leaving it again. Mm-hmm. We're not being told something. Yeah, I agree. There's something weird about Lenny. We have <laughs> Carrie, Carrie dragged down into the pit and then like 
running from the Minotaur going, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. <laughs> Bill Irwin is, ba- is amazing. I love him. He's so funny. And like so good. Um, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear is like the white rabbit in Alice in Wonderland. Oh yeah, you're right. I didn't even think of that. So he's in the rabbit hole saying oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. He's the... The rabbit. He's the white rabbit that Carrie follows. Mm-hmm. Carrie's Alice and he's the white rabbit. Yeah. And Sid is Alice and the white rabbit is the white rabbit. Hmm. And then also, you said this. Can I steal your uh, observation? Or do you want to say it into the mic? Oh dear, oh dear. Oh, he's being chased by the Minotaur who has kind of like a deer head. Yeah. So he's like, oh dear, oh dear, it's kind of a pun. But, I don't know, I don't think that's a thing, but that's what struck me. <laughs> yeah, bull, oh dear. not a deer, but it's also it's like, oh dear, oh dear, and then an animal-headed thing chases after him. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's like Bugs Bunny level. Yeah. He just brings the levity. And you need it. You need some levity in this show sometimes. And I I appreciate Bill Irwin for it. He's great. But he runs along and ends up at the monastery. Yeah. Which is like, they're deep underground. And then somehow he can end up there. And so it's very like this maze, this dream logic, this thing, spaces connecting that should not connect. Yeah. So something is very non-real yeah yeah there's no there's no way that the caves that carrie is in connect to the monastery as we've seen it that geography makes no sense Mm -hmm. so and we've always known the monastery's location or we've always known the monastery is uh moves Mm -hmm. and we have suspected this whole episode and even last episode that its location isn't physical right yeah yeah like, yeah, there's weird stuff happening. And this cave can't, I mean, it can, I guess. It never seemed like a physical cave. Was there a literal big hole with a giant pink plug next to it in the desert? That doesn't seem like it could be literally a thing in the real world. It's also symbolic and Well, everything in this surreal. show is symbolic. Is there... A rooftop of a building with a whole bunch of hands fit pointing different ways. No! <laughs> nothing like, is real. Nothing is really real in this show. Oh. You just gotta accept it and roll with it. I guess. Carrie finds Oliver all hurt and David sitting on the chair, but like... Yeah, in the exact same pose as the beginning. Yeah. He's just like him from the opening. And like completely blase. Oh, yeah, I tortured him. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We saw him regretting it or seeming to regret it. But now here he is not. uh, He's not emoting with regret. I don't think he's not no regrets. I think he's I think he's upset. And he talks about being upset about that he's worried because it feels good. Yeah. 
it doesn't feel good to torture Oliver. It feels good to hurt Farouk. And he thought Oliver was Farouk. And now he's thinking about actually hurting Farouk. And mm-hmm. that's going to be great. Yeah. Yeah. There's also, in terms of like the physical space and the weirdness of these caves, Vermilion are suddenly down there. Which like, where did they come from? Yeah, because they weren't to like be really clear in case we're not paying attention where they are in the desert. They're in the desert with Clark, which is a different part of the desert. They mm-hmm. were never by the hole. Yeah, exactly. They didn't arrive with Carrie and Carrie. They arrived with Clark. Carrie and Carrie had a bunch of dudes with guns, but no vermilions with them. Nope. None. So how did they get in the hole? Yeah. It's just another wonky space. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Sid says David is the monster now. Mm-hmm. Maybe he always was. And like, is this because Sid has been convinced by Melanie who is lying? Or is this because Sid is smarter and more insightful than either Melanie or David? Mm. And is this true? I just don't know. As I said already in this episode, when the show was trying to convince me that David was good, I was skeptical. And now the show is trying to convince me that David's a monster and I'm skeptical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's skepticalness all around. And then the Minotaur shows up, Carrie and Sid. And the Minotaur shows up and Carrie manifests the scythe, as you said, which I didn't notice even the tiny bit. Mm-hmm. And Carrie's like, I've got this. I'm like, oh, good gravy, Carrie. No, you don't. Mm-hmm. Then Sid says, no, I need to hit something. Yeah. And it's like... Since when does Sid do, do physical combat? Right? And it, my theory is because Sid is smart. Sid knows what's going on. When she says she needs to hit something, we read that as, I'm so angry, I have to express my anger by fisticuffs. But I think what she actually means is, I need to physically touch this minotaur so that I can use what we all know are my actual powers. Mm-hmm. So at the end, when Sid is on the ground, you drew attention to it in your recap, there's the reflection of the minotaur in her eye. Yep. And that's one of these, like, that could just be, like, light reflects on things. <laughs> But it also could be a clue to us that the Minotaur is inside Sid. Mm-hmm. And Sid and is Sid now in the Minotaur's Minotaur. body. Yep. Yeah, yeah I definitely think that. body switcher who touched the Minotaur. Sorry, I talked over you. It's okay. What did you say? I was just agreeing with you. And like I said earlier, it's important whether the Minotaur has a physical body. Because if the Minotaur is an astral projection of some kind, then Sid can't switch bodies with it. But if the Minotaur has a physical body, why couldn't Sid switch bodies with it? Yeah. I, I, I'm definitely on the side of Sid is now the Minotaur, and that's going to be important in the next episode. Yeah, me too. But who knows? We have been wrong about things before. Many times. What? Except me, who's right about many Not things. that many times. Like, you don't <laughs> have to play it up. <laughs> Clark doesn't recognize Farouk coming up. I know. It feel, Clark feels very dumb in this moment. That like, can we help you? Who do you think this is? Yeah. It makes me think like, 
Well, none of them would recognize Farouk's body. No. But no, also, none of them at all. be a little more suspicious, Clark. Yeah. Show your scarred face, not your fresh face. Mm. And and Farouk just kind of defeats them. Mm-hmm. And so that does that mean Clark is dead? I don't think so. No. He knocks them out. He knocks them out. And then he tosses the choke across the desert. I think Farouk's very both in terms of powers and morally very capable of killing them all. Mm-hmm. But when he kills people, he turns them to dust. Yeah. Like, that's the visual language we have used on this show. Yeah. They all collapse. I think he's just knocked them out. Yeah. I'm really super upset if this was how Clark dies. Yeah, me too. Me too. Vermilion just, like, chance of victory zero. Like, they don't yeah. even try. That's really annoying. <laughs> because, like, they're robots, so they're not... They're, they can't be manipulated mentally by Farouk. But he's telekinetic also. But he's telekinetic also, I guess. I just, I just am annoyed that they don't even try. Are you, like... I don't know. I kind of really liked it because from a show perspective, like don't waste our time with a pointless fight scene that we know isn't going to go anywhere. We know Vermillions aren't going to defeat the Shadow King. No, good point. Like from a show perspective, there's a 0% chance that the Vermillions are going to win this fight. So like, just skip it. Yeah. Okay. That's a good point. That's a good point. I like it. (laughs) It establishes the level of his threat. Which isn't really necessary, but, like, it reinforces the level of threat. But it also is kind of a meta moment of, like, yeah, we're not going to have this this confrontation. Mm -hmm. And then we have, Farouk throws away the choke, which, like, rut-row. Yeah. And then he stands there on the hill and makes the sun rise. Does he make it rise, or was it rising? I assumed it was rising and he was just basking in it. Yeah, but he has said that... What he as a god does is make the sun rise. Right. So I don't think he actually has made... No, I agree. I don't think he has actually made the sun rise. But I think the visual language we have of him standing, raising his arms, and the sun rises in front of him. Yeah. Is of like... But then the question is, if this has been the sun rising, then how come the sun was rising when he was kissing... Me- when Melanie was kissing him and he was getting his body back? Mm-hmm. I don't okay. think that was the sun rising. That was just a light appearing. Mm-hmm. Because they were underground. Because one or both of those are not a literal sunrise, was yes. my answer. Yeah. Yeah, and you've said it too. And then the angriest boy book. What is up with that? We haven't really heard much about the angriest boy in a long time, in so many episodes. I mean, Lenny saw the angriest boy in the dream. In- That's true. She did. We've been reminded of him. But yeah, because the Angriest Boy book was always written by Farouk. Yeah, you're right. right? Farouk was the Angriest Boy. It's David reading it. So it's it's a warning. It's she. He chopped her head. This is a warning to Farouk. Or is it a warning to David? Or neither? <laughs> Yeah, those are, those, those are some of the options. 
Yeah. And when David appears, his face is half blurry. It sure is. And this is very like, like you said in the first scene, his face is half in shadow and now his face is half like just completely fogged. Out of focus. Out of focus. And this is, I feel like, extremely conspicuous. That Mm -hmm. like, if you were, you shoot him from the side and have half his face in shadow if you want it to be subtle. Mm-hmm. And like subtle in quotation marks. But this is like, hey, everybody, <laughs> look at how David is half a face. And he's two faced. He's got a mask on. Yeah. Which which side is his real side? And what is that physical? Like if you were standing there, what would you have literally seen? This is going back to like central things in this show. What of what we are seeing is stylized cinematography to make a symbolic point. And what is the camera is showing us what we are supposed to presume has literally happened. Is his face literally blurred out? No. Well, how can you be so confident? Because <laughs> that would be stupid. But you can't blur out your own face. I can't. <laughs> I also can't, you know, I don't know, do stuff. Make a whole kitchen explode? Make a whole kitchen explode. (laughs) You know, some dynamite or something. I'm just saying, very, very often on the show, uh, the things that we see are the camera showing us what is literally happening. Absolutely. So David is blurring is half blurred out, is losing focus. I mean, you can also make it really literal. Ooh, he's losing focus. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't even think of it that way. His focus isn't where it should be. Mm Mm-hmm. Which it hasn't been this whole episode because he was obsessed with finding Sid all of a sudden. It wasn't about finding Farouk's body. Yep. Suddenly it was, he's distracted because he doesn't know where Sid is. Yep. That's huh. not where his focus is supposed to be. Yeah. Good call. Thank you. So I guess that really brings us to the end of the episode. Did you want to talk about the music in this episode? There was lots, right? Um, really only two. Okay. And there, um... Besides Happy Birthday and Swinging on a Star? Exactly. <laughs> when Sid is lying in bed with David in the tent, we hear... True Love Waits by Radiohead. Mm. We previously heard Radiohead in season one in the episode Undiscovered First during the car ride to Division 3 when they're all going to like discover that David has killed everyone at Division 3. That's the last time we heard a Radiohead song. Mm. And this one, uh, some, we don't hear the whole song, but some relevant lyrics... I'll drown my beliefs to have your babies. I'll dress like your niece and wash your swollen feet. Just don't leave. Don't leave. Mm. And that's the like. Kind of the, the sentiment of Sid. Don't leave. Yeah. And is that, uh, I wonder, like we can read that as expressing Sid's emotions. Mm-hmm. Sid thinking about and to David, don't leave. And she's, the words that repeat at this moment, are, I'm going after him. 
Sid is feeling abandoned by David that he went off to hunt the monster like he said he wasn't going to and she went after him and she's like stop leaving me mm-hmm. uh, we can also read it in the reverse that Sid is about to wa- wake up go out of the tent and leave David mm-hmm. and so maybe she's the one who's leaving and he's the one who's saying don't, don't leave. leave me yeah good point During Carrie's fight scene, we hear the song Ocean Size by Jane's Addiction. We previously heard Jane's Addiction back when Melanie was getting high in Chapter 9, White Rabbit. And the words, some relevant lyrics, Wish I was ocean size. They cannot move you, man. No one tries. No one pulls you out from your hole Hmm. like a tooth aching a jawbone. It's a little on the nose. I know, right? <laughs> and then also, like, during the fight scene, blah, 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 in, in the end of the song, no talking, all action, no talking, all action. <laughs> during the action scene. And that's very Carrie. That could be I, Carrie's theme song. I know, right? I want to be ocean size, no talking, all action. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It, it's maybe doesn't need a ton of analysis because it is very uh, on the surface, how it clearly relates to what is happening, being mm-hmm. pulled out of the hole and no talking all action. Yeah. So in terms of feedback this week, we didn't get a lot. We had a little comment from uh, Liberty Littman on Twitter at Viola Loki, who just asked, is Oliver okay? I hope so. And I think so. I think he is okay. I think that his torture was all mental, and they say he's alive. And Carrie's like, I think Oliver's going to be okay. So I think we're all good with Oliver. I mean, he's not going to be okay in terms of his mental state. Yeah, physically, I think physically he is going to be okay. He's knocked out again, though. So he could just go back to the astral plane, for all we know. Ooh, that would be sad. It would be really sad. But I do want to mention in terms of feedback that we, after next week when the season ends, we'll do uh, at least one, maybe even two season wrap-up episodes. And we'll want feedback from you guys. We'll want to, we'll definitely address any questions, anything you guys want to talk about. So send us that. Uh, on Twitter, via email, on our Facebook page, any which way you want to send it to us on our Patreon page as well. And we'll do a big like mailbag wrap up, talk about all of season two in the next couple of weeks here. So please send us that stuff so we can talk about it because we'd love to answer some questions or and or contemplate more questions, which is more likely. Absolutely. So Paul, do you want to Tell us where you can do all those things. You can find us where we are most active on Twitter at ClockworksCast. You can also email us ClockworksCast at gmail.com and we'll read and respond to your emails as soon as we see them, which will be right away. (laughs) We have a Facebook page and we're on Reddit and we're on Instagram and we could be on something else if you want it, if you... I 
tell me, oh, I only use uh, Snapchat. Snapchat. Snapchat the whole thing. <laughs> we, we could have a Snapchat. Uh, but those are the things we have. You can, <laughs> you can also, I, I'm like spacing out. You can also <laughs> talk to us. Uh, you can also, if you like our show, you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash clockworkscast. That will help us continue to make the show, and that would be great because we want to keep making it. You can tell your friends and family and enemies and the creatures living in your head about our show, and that would be great too because we'd like people to listen to us. Actually, I want to, before we totally sign off, I want to put you immensely on the spot, Jan. Mm -hmm. Next episode is the season finale. Sure is. Make a prediction. How is this season going to end? What are we going to see? We're going to see a dead Farouk. Mm -hmm. We're going to see a... Answers to several of the questions, but several more questions not being answered. We are going to find out what is up with future Sid. Right. And I believe there'll be another mid-credits twist. And that's my full prediction. What is yours? You're... We're thinking along very similar lines. I hadn't really occurred to me that there would be a mid-credits twist, but now that you've said that, I think you're probably right. I definitely agree this is the end of Farouk. I definitely think this is not the end of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, I do not think that we will have any... I don't... I think that we will have what might seem like, but will not actually be uh, closure in terms of whether David is a villain or a hero. I think we're going to end this season still not really being sure whether David is someone we should trust. Will we get another John Hamm narration in this last episode? That's a good question. I'm going to say no. Same. Yeah. All right. I didn't think it would. All right. Well, we'll see whether any of that comes true. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Mm-hmm. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. Goodbye.